Thank you, Tracy, and welcome to Crosspoint. I have to say that also. Um, one, of the, one of the cool things that we have right now in, in our re-entry aspect, we're doing things a little bit differently. Rather than having announcements and then a time of worship and song, we're having announcements and then the preached word and then the supper and then worship and song. But you know that that lines up with Scripture? Because the night that Jesus taught his disciples in the upper room, when they got through with their meal, they got through with the teaching, they sang a song and then they left. So we're lining up with that. I like that. So this morning, we're going to, um, I want to begin with, word of, with a word of prayer, begin my part with a word of prayer. Uh, Kendra noticed this morning, she, when she got up, she saw a post from Laura Roberts that Micah Roberts is in Southwestern uh, University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center right now waiting for a kidney transplant. He got a call last night, I think at 1010, something like that, saying that they had a kidney available. They went over there. They spent the night going through the COVID-19 tests and all the other stuff to prepare him and approve him for actually having the surgery. They're supposed to have the surgery at 10 at noon today. Okay, so... We're going to start off this morning by praying for Micah and for Laura and for the medical team that's working with them. We also want to continue to pray for Trevor Daniel and for the Daniel family as he's continuing to go through treatments. We want to pray for the Cummins family and for Everett and San Filippo that he's, he's going through. And then any others in our body that have specific health needs. Um, one other thing before I forget it, <clears throat> I don't think I heard it, but... If you see this little card in front of you, <clears throat> excuse me, you will see this card in front of you. If you're a guest, please fill this out. If you have specific prayer requests, we will certainly pray for those for you. <clears throat> we will not knock on your door this week. You know, we may contact you by email, something like that, but we're, we're not, we're not going to flood you with visits if you, if you fill one of those out. <clears throat> so if you would, join me in a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, we specifically first begin praying for Micah Roberts and for his anticipated surgery coming up in just an hour and a half. Father, I pray for Micah that you will give him strength, give him a sense of peace that goes beyond understanding, knowing that you are in control. For our, Father, I pray for Laura that you will give her a peace also as her husband is going through this surgery. Father, I thank you for the fact that she's even able to be in the hospital with him because there's so many places that would not allow that. Father, I pray for the medical team that you will give them the abilities even beyond their own learning to perform this surgery and that it be successful. Father, we, we know that you're a God of healing and you can heal through your miraculous hand and your touch or you also heal through medical science. So, Father, we pray for that healing to take place today for Micah. Father, I pray for Trevor, Daniel, as he continues going through treatment, that you would continue to help his body respond positively for that. Father, we pray for his healing unashamedly. We ask, Father, for you to touch him and heal him. Father, I pray that you continue to strengthen the Daniel family and their walk together and their walk with you. Father, I pray for the Cummins family and for Everett, for what he's going through. Father, as Ben has pointed out in the past, we know absolutely 
the answer, the, the absolute healing for that is for Jesus for you to come back. But you can also heal in this moment today. Father, I pray for Ben and Christy and for their family as they're, they're out for a couple of weeks. Uh, Father, I pray that this be a time of rest and relaxation for them and, and a regrouping for them. Father, as, as Christy is seeing her dad, Charles Trimble, in his, really the last stages of his life, I pray that you comfort her and comfort Ben in that. Father, I pray this morning for another pastor, <clears throat> Pastor Jason Rowland. <clears throat> and his wife Stacy at Believers Baptist Church in Emory. <clears throat> Father, I pray for their marriage. I pray for Jason's study time this week, that it has been fruitful for him. I pray that their marriage would continue to be sweetened by your presence in their lives. Father, I pray as he stands to deliver his message this morning to the people at Believers Baptist. <clears throat> And Father, finally, I pray for a, an unreached people group, and it's the Chechen people. Approximately 2.4 million people in that country of Chechnya, and there's no known believers. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would reach into that nation and claim people in that nation as your own. And Father, then I pray for our time this morning that you will open our ears, open our hearts to hear your word, not from me, but from the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, when I was in graduate school, occasionally my major professor would call me into his office and have me sit down, and I can always tell from his face what kind of conversation it was going to be. Sometimes it was a conversation to correct something I had done or maybe something I needed to do better. Many times, though, his conversation with me was to instruct me, to give me some information that I needed. And he would say, Morris, I want you to listen to me. And I did. That's what we're looking at this morning in scripture, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he was saying, listen, and he provided instruction. This morning and next week, I'm going to be preaching out of Luke chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, then as I continue the introduction, you'll be, you'll be there. We'll be going to several other places this morning. Uh, if you want to turn and follow, I'll give you a little bit of time to, to turn to the other passages we're going to look at. If you would just want to sit and listen, that's fine too. Um, but this morning in Luke 6, we're going to begin in verse 17 in just a minute. But we're going to be looking at an aspect related to the Sermon on the Mount that Ben has been low crawling through for some time now. In Luke chapter 6... Rather than the Sermon on the Mount, this is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Because in Matthew 5, it clearly says that Jesus was up on the mountain when he began to teach. In Luke 6, however, it says that Jesus came down from the mountain to a level place and he began to teach. So this very clearly seems to be a different time 
a different place, very, very similar message. Matthew and Luke are not contradicting each other. Please hear that. This is not a contradictory thing. Okay? The commentaries that I've seen over the last couple of weeks, digging through this, every one of them say the same thing, that it's obviously a different time, a different place. But like teachers will, if, if there's main things to teach, they'll teach the same things in different contexts. And I believe Jesus did the same thing here. God knows that repetition is one of the strongest forms of teaching that we have. And so Jesus repeated himself. Unlike me, he didn't have notes. Unlike me, he didn't need notes. <laughs> but he taught what was paramount in that moment. And so if we see, or as we see these two different passages that seem to be slightly different, that's the reason. It's not a contradiction. It's just two different sermons, two different times, two different places. So this morning, we're going to examine a parallel passage in the Sermon on the Mount from Luke called the Sermon on the Plain. So if you would, turn to Luke 6, beginning in verse 17, and I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. In Luke 6, beginning in verse 17. And he, that is Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. He lifted up his eyes to his disciples, to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who leads us into the truth of your word. And we pray, Father, that we will experience that very thing today, hearing from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Please be seated. Now, again, as I said earlier, for several weeks now, Ben has been preaching, well, he's been preaching for a while on the Sermon on the Mount. For the last several weeks, he's been preaching on the Lord's Prayer. And the most recent aspect of that prayer is the petition, your kingdom come. And we are learning what that statement holds for us. We are in that kingdom already 
today. Last week, Greg pointed out in Luke 7 that Jesus demonstrated how that kingdom is being experienced today. Because Jesus sees. Jesus has compassion. Jesus comforts. He helps. And then Jesus calls us to focus on the higher things of God, of what was coming next. So Jesus then called his disciples. Well, let me back up. To set the context of this passage, beginning in verse 12, Jesus was up on the mountain praying all night. And we know through other experiences that we see in Scripture where Jesus was praying on the mountain, he was praying to the Father, spending time with the Father, but he was being prepared for what was coming next. And that's exactly what Jesus did here in this situation. He was praying to the Father, preparing for what was about to happen. He then called his disciples, and that's his followers, and he named 12 apostles from among them. Other accounts talk about Jesus calling his, his disciples, his followers. And we see that, and again, that's not a contradiction. But in this passage, Luke records that Jesus specifically said, these 12 men are my apostles. So he named them, and in doing so, he set them slightly apart from the rest of the followers. Okay? There was, there was something that went with that name. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not going to go into all of that this morning. I'm just saying there was something that went with that name. So keep that in mind. There was a, there was a different context here. But Jesus clearly named them apostles. Up to that point, they'd been followers. They'd been with him. They'd been walking with him. In naming them, he set them apart again from the other disciples. Then they came down from the mountain to a level place. And it says he began teaching them. Now the audience at this point were the 12 apostles, the other disciples, the followers of Jesus, and then a great multitude. People who had come to get something from Jesus. And it's interesting. Yeah, and we may get to ask one of these days, Jesus, why did you do it this way? But I don't know if we actually will. But of everything he had to do, guess what he did first? He addressed the multitude. He addressed the people that had come to get something. He addressed their needs. He knew what their needs were. And it says clearly in Scripture, those with unclean spirits were cured. Those with illnesses were healed. And it says, Scripture, Scripture says, the crowd sought to touch him. For power was coming out from him and healed them all. Now we can only try to imagine the scene, people pushing, crowding, trying to get close to Jesus. Maybe the 12 apostles and the other disciples were trying to maintain some order. We don't, ex we don't know exactly what was happening, but Jesus had experienced that crush of the multitude before. And it would only make sense that that may have been going on now. 
So after he took care of their needs, after he cured and after he healed, then he began to teach his disciples. Now this teaching is most often referred to as the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, as I said earlier, Ben has spent a long time low crawling through the Sermon on the Mount and he spent time on the Beatitudes. So what is different in this passage in Luke? Luke records that in this sermon, Jesus focused on only four of the Beatitudes. But then he spoke of the four woes. Those four woes are what we're going to consider this morning and God willing next week as a parallel to our studies in Matthew. As we read this passage, we can easily see a pairing of the four Beatitudes and the four woes. The first Beatitude lines up with the first woe. second Beatitude lines up with the second woe. You think it was probably purposeful? Uh, Yeah, I think so. In that light this morning, to to look at the four woes, the first and the fourth Beatitudes, and the, the first and fourth Beatitude and the corresponding woes were speaking and focused on the present time. The second and third Beatitude and corresponding woes were speaking of something to come in a future event. To that light this morning, we're going to consider the first and fourth Beatitude and their corresponding woes. So going back and looking in Luke 6 verse 20. Says Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Here Jesus tells his disciples and his apostles that in their current circumstances, and most of them were poor. We just know that was the people group there. They were then able to experience God's blessings because of who Jesus was and is. Or, as Ben rightly put it, they were able to flourish in that poorness. It wasn't that they were poor, so then they got blessed. No, they were blessed and able to flourish in where they were. But you see, Jesus wasn't talking specifically of a monetary, materialistic, human aspect of being poor. He was talking about being poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's what Jesus was talking about. And he was saying, because of the blessings of Christ, we now have the ability to flourish in that absolute truth that I have nothing to give God. I am absolutely bankrupt. I have nothing that can earn my way into heaven I have nothing to earn eternal life. It was from Jesus. And because of that, we can flourish in that. And it's not that we stand up and dance, I'm poor. You know, it, it's not that. But it's, it's the realization that it doesn't matter who I am. It matters who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The disciples of Jesus were being called to focus on the fact that 
Without that restored relationship of God through Jesus Christ, they had no hope. That's being poor in spirit. But Christ and in Christ, the spiritual riches that they had and would have come from directly or come directly through the life of Jesus Christ. He was calling them to a higher focus, not just on their earthly existence, but look forward. Look forward to the kingdom because that's what's coming. Our reward is great. In light of that, let's look at the first of the four woes. In verse 24, Jesus provides the contrast of our call to flourish in being poor in spirit in the kingdom of God. Because there's another group there. There's another set of ears. There's another set of attitudes in the multitude. In verse 24, Jesus says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, Jesus may not have actually turned to the multitudes. He may not have taken his eyes just from the disciples and looked up to the multitude. We don't know exactly what happened. But there is a very definite shift in the scripture of what's being said. Jesus is talking at this point, not to his disciples specifically, but he's talking to the free lunch bunch. Okay. Those that showed up to gain something from Jesus. Now, they didn't know they were going to be fed, but they got fed. That's why I refer to them as the free lunch bunch. They showed up and got their food and they left. But they were cured of unclean spirits. They were healed of illnesses. And then Jesus spoke... So they heard the teachings of Jesus. So whether they were hearing a teaching, receiving a cure, or a healing, they were there for a very specific purpose, but just to gain something. And Jesus said, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Keep in mind, Jesus did heal. He, he healed unclean spirits. He healed illnesses. He, heard, he, he was able to speak so that everyone heard what he was saying. But if that's all they came for, then guess what? That's all they left with. Jesus said, you have received your consolation. That's it. Jesus spoke also in Mark chapter 10. If you, want to turn, if you want to turn there, that's fine. <clears throat> Mark 10, verse 23 through 27. Or if you just want to listen, that's fine also. So Mark 10, verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And he said to them, 
Or they said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, for, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, there are, there are some who say, and I've even taught this in the past, that what Jesus was referring to was this gate in the wall in Jerusalem that could be accessed at night after the main gates were closed. And it was narrow, and it was low, and it went in and made some twists and turns. Okay, And that was referred to as the eye of the needle. And a camel could go through that. <clears throat> but before the camel could go through... All of the baggage had to be taken off, and he had to get down on his knees. So there was a picture of contrition and unloading of material things. So that's a great word picture. However, what I've discovered, there is no archaeological support of that particular gate. It actually started being taught in the early 1600s as an an explanation. So it, it kind of became a real thing. So... I believe, standing here today, and God can change my mind. He's able to do that. Jesus was talking about an actual full-grown camel. If, if we had one, I'd display it. But just imagine a camel sitting here. Okay. And a sewing needle with a little bitty eye. Maybe a yarn darning needle with a bigger eye. It's still tough for that camel to go through. Well, guess what? Our God is powerful enough to make that happen if he deemed it necessary. He's not going to to do it just for a show. But Jesus pointed out, God can do that. He said, with God, everything is possible. Another passage where Jesus dealt with this very hard issue is found in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. Here it says, and behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In the very beginning of this passage in Matthew, Jesus pegs the young man. He was looking for a simple, single deed in order for him to gain eternal life. And Jesus answered the question about what is good. The man was looking for something in works. He wasn't looking for hard attitudes. Jesus told the young man to keep the commandments. The young man said, I've done all those things. Then Jesus told him, knowing his heart, 
Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. And the young man went away sad because he had great things. He had great possessions. Jesus knew the young man's heart. And because of his heart condition, that the things that he had were more important than following Jesus, he had to walk away from that. And Jesus understood that. He knew that. And that's why he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's not something that can be done in our human terms. So, is God big enough for a full-grown camel to go through the eye of a needle? Yes, he is. And if he deems it necessary, as I said earlier, he will do that just as a rich person entering the kingdom of God. If God calls that person, guess what? He has eternal life. Okay, but keep in mind, God is the active agent in our salvation regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of whether we're rich or poor monetarily. I've known known quite a few people with lots and lots and lots of money. Some of those people are focused on the money and the things. And they have to work harder to get more and maintain what they have. I've also known a group of people who have lots and lots of money and they're extremely generous. They help people. It's not a heart condition. They give to the poor. That's what God is saying. God is the active agent. Nothing that depends on our works or possessions will get us into the kingdom of heaven. Now, keep in mind, Jesus did care for those who were the free lunch bunch. He did. He cared for them. He had compassion for them. Even if they would never believe in him. And we see that in Scripture, God, in His sovereignty, provides good for all of us here on the earth. Matthew 5, 45, the last part of that passage says, God makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, God reveals Himself to even those who will never believe in Him. For every one of us, there is an internal general revelation. There's something in each person on this earth that knows that there is someone bigger than they are. They may not ever believe in it. There is also an external general revelation that even the people that never believe can look out and see the clouds and the rain and the trees and the grass and the stars and all of the universe and think, wow, somebody bigger than me must have done this. So that general revelation is there even if they never believe in Jesus. It proves that there's a God. But while they are alive on earth, those who the woe fits. Focus their thinking on the monetary things, on the physical things, on the material things of of what they can have and what they can gain. They seek nothing spiritual from Jesus. We see Jesus' compassion, his care for people, even in their blindness. Even though they would never see, he still has compassion on them.
He healed them. He didn't turn them away. He provided a teaching for them. He didn't tell them to leave. But in their blindness, he says, this is all you're going to get. You've had your fulfillment. That's it. They did not receive the kingdom of God. Now the fourth beatitude that Luke records for us here is found in verse 22 of Luke 6. And that passage just says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Jesus tells us that because of the redemptive work that Jesus has done, he is doing and he will do in the future, we can flourish. When people hate us, when they exclude us and say horrible things about us, and they use our name badly on account of the Son of Man. We can flourish. Both of these Beatitudes, both the first and the, and the fourth, go directly against what human beings would say we should be going after. It sounds like on one hand that Jesus is saying we should seek being poor and we should seek ways to make people hate us. That's not what Jesus is saying. He said, because of our walk with him, these things will naturally happen. People are going to turn against us. While things on earth, in our country, in our state, in our city, in our community, seem to be turning upside down right now. And it is. You know, we're, we're coming out of this quarantine something that hadn't happened in any of our lifetimes. And some of us have longer lifetimes than others, but in my lifetime it hadn't happened. And I may be the oldest here this morning. Okay, I'm the oldest here this morning. So in, in my lifetime, nothing like this has ever happened, never experienced this before. Okay. We will always remember 2020 as a kind of a fruit basket turnover. You know, things have just turned upside down. But guess what? What's going on right now today is not new to the creation. Because of the original sin of Adam and Eve and their refusal to obey God, sin became a very real part of our existence. And because of that, bad things happen. In Matthew, Jesus' words are recorded about this very issue. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who, per, who are persecuted for the righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, the, you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus is speaking here of a lack of social acceptance. There were people all around Jesus that were striving for that social acceptance. They wanted to sit on the front row. No, no offense, darling. I'm really not. But Pharisees always sat on the front row. Why? So that everybody else could see them. 
It's not because they wanted to be closer to the word. They, it was a position of honor to sit on that front row. And Jesus was surrounded by that. People were, you know, moving and, you know, how long was their sash? Well, the more righteous, quote unquote, they were, the longer the sash was. I mean, all kinds of things. But Jesus said, it's not about social acceptance or honor. Because if someone was recognized by those in authority as having done something wrong by their standard, their standards were often seen as equal and maybe even just a little bit greater than the commandments of God. So the human laws had to be followed as well as God's laws. But if, if a group of men, for example, on the Sabbath day were walking, passing through a grain field, and they were, they were hungry, so they gathered some grain in their hands and rubbed it, and they ate it. That was working on the Sabbath, and so they were condemned for that. Or maybe a man named Jesus would cure a blind man on the Sabbath. And he was hated for that. He was reviled for that. And they even sought to kill him for breaking those social acceptance rules. Anyone who would go against the expected traditions was dealt with harshly. They were persecuted. They were defamed. False statements were made against them. But remember the qualifying statement here when Jesus said, on account of the Son of Man. It's not just that I go out and break laws. No, that's not what he's talking about. When we take a stand for the gospel, dear people, when we take a stand for Jesus against where society's going, for example, if we take a stand and say, I'm sorry, Scripture says this, what you're saying is wrong. When we take a stand for Christ, we can expect persecution. We better. That's what it says. That's what it says is going to happen. But again, because of Jesus, in that persecution, we can flourish. Okay. The persecution hurts. It does. I'm not going to say it doesn't. But in that, we're, again, we're looking beyond that to the kingdom of God, what is waiting for us, and our reward is Great. So now, let's look at the fourth woe. And this is the antithesis of the fourth beatitude. This is the flip side. Okay. <clears throat> In verse 26, Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus is pointing to the fact that so often we as human beings want to be well liked. We want people to say nice things about us. We want people to remember us for good things. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing. You know, I was, I was talking with a friend recently about 
what he thought his epitaph would be on his tombstone. <laughs> when you get this age, you talk about those kind of things, okay? What can I say? And he said, well, I, you know, Morris hadn't thought about it. What do, you, what do you want it to be? I said, you know what? Just in the, the dad that I grew up, and we're celebrating Father's Day today, the dad that I grew up with, the father-in-law that I grew up with, were both known as men of integrity. I thought, you know, if someone put anything on my tombstone, I, I would hope it would be that. You know, so it's, it's not bad to desire those positive things. It's not. But if that's all we're interested in, if we're, if we're more interested in those positive things being said about us than the truth of God's word and what Jesus said, then woe to us. We can't go there. Because these woes are there, we have to recognize the difference between our walk and if our desire is different. They have to go hand in hand. Our desire to follow Christ and what we do has to match up. In Jeremiah, well, let me back up. It, it, it refers in the, the, the fourth woe. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus is referring back to the old order, to the Old Testament time, when prophets would speak a word from God. And let, let's keep in mind, many of what the prophets spoke was not kind. Why? Because the people had rejected God. Time and time and time again, we see that pattern. And the prophets would say, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. They didn't want to hear that. They wanted their ears tickled. They wanted someone to say good things about them. And so they turned to the false prophets instead. People of the Old Testament frequently opposed the prophets because they represented God's will that was spoken to them and they were instructed by the prophet to do things that may have been hard for them. For example, in Jeremiah verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 21 through 23. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. None of them shall be left for I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth this year of their punishment. So rather than following the words of God spoken through Jeremiah, through his prophets, they more readily followed the false prophets. They, they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. In Ezekiel 13, verses 1 through 8, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen 
nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel, that it might stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken to them. And yet they expect God then to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. <clears throat> Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seeing lying visions, therefore behold, I am against you, declares the Lord. It's clear that God sets a very real boundary between his word and his truth and anything that man can come up with. Jesus directs us to not follow the way of conformity or the easy path. Just getting along. And seeking to have others speak well of us. Again, Jesus equates that with what the people of the Old Testament did with the false prophets. Following what was being accepted, what was easy, well thought of, in opposition to the truth of God's word. People of God. We are called to pay attention to ourselves to our walk, to our words, our thoughts, our motives, and through all of these things to seek the kingdom of God. Yeah, we recognize where we are today, and some of it's just not great. It's just not. But God says, look beyond that. Look to the kingdom of God, for your reward is great. We can't even imagine what's waiting for us. But God gives us that promise. We are to cry out that petition, Thy kingdom come. If we want a cure for COVID-19, Jesus, come back. If we want a cure for cancer, Jesus, come back. If we want a cure for just the daily aches and pains and heartache that we go through, Jesus, come back. In doing that, we walk rightly with God. Pray with me. Father, as we come before you again, it is my prayer that we would cry out, for your kingdom to come, even though there are aspects of it right now in our lives that we're experiencing good from you. Father, we know that what you have in store for us is so much better. And Father, as Paul pointed out, that to live is Christ. As long as I'm drawing breath, there are things I need to be doing to honor Jesus. And to point people to Jesus. But then Paul also said, but to die is gain.
because he had in his mind what God had said, our reward is great. But Father, I pray that you strengthen us through our walk today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day this week until Jesus comes back that we would by our actions and by our words point people to Jesus because he's our only hope. Father, I thank you for being here with us this morning for loving us, for revealing your word to us through the Holy Spirit. And Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now,